Welcome back to the Purple Worm RPG podcast, a podcast where four British blokes talk about RPGs with a bit of a British slant to it. And in this episode, Dave Aldridge is going to be kicking us off by talking about indie and OSR games. It's really my excuse to, um, you know, to go public on my fandom of Ron Edwards. So it's about time we talked about Ron <laughs> Edwards. So I'm going to wave. I'm going to wave my copy of Sorcerer around. Here it is, and I'm going to offer this as 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 maybe a, a paradigm or as an exemplar of the indie game for various reasons. And that's going to offer an opportunity for a little bit of genealogy about, you know, I I remember discussion we've had on the audio dungeon, you know, what's an indie game? Well, it's just a game that's produced independently. What does it really mean? Well, there was a little bit of design philosophy that went along with the with the whole indie game concept, out of which, of course, Vincent Baker comes, powered powered by the apocalypse, comes out of that, um, comes out the forge, comes out of that uh, approach to game design. And I wanted to talk about that, and I wanted to talk about ways that that interacts with with uh, OSR because certainly in my own experience a lot of my approach to the OSR not to old school gaming but to the OSR has been shaped by um has been shaped by some of these indie principles. So Sorcerer I've got here is, what is it, 2001, I think. Um, so the first thing I mentioned in the last episode, I mentioned how Ron Edwards, yeah, he does his essays, but at least he puts them in the appendices. But um, the nice thing about Sorcerer, so I consider it a really good sort of paradigmatic um, indie game, stripped down, designed with the intention of telling a very particular kind of story. Uh, and I would say that was the big theme of indie gaming. It was like, let's be clear about what kind of game. We talked about this a bit last episode. Let's be clear about what kind of game we want to play. And then let's pick a rule system that will help us to play that game. Actually, Ron Edwards pushes that quite strongly. I'll talk about it a bit more. Um, but he says, actually, amongst the taxonomy, he gives us three different types of games. You can't do them all. Uh, so you've got to pick which one you're doing and you've just got to you've stick with that, and you've got to have the rules to support that. I'm not sure I would I, I I accept the strongest form of his thesis, but I definitely think having some self consciousness about what kind of game we're trying to run or our players tr- are trying to play is really important. And then looking at the interaction between the rules and that kind of game. Other reasons why Sorcerer is to me a, a nice paradigmatic indie game is because the introduction actually is all about how Ron Edwards managed to bring his game to publication. So I'm reading that I've got the beautiful hardback version that came out and he actually tells you how he managed to produce an independent game. You know, originally I did this, I printed it out, I was giving it out. Then I did a few bits of mail order. You could get the photocopies stapled <laughs> together and eventually I brought it to publication. So he does, That's there's a connection there. He does actually give you the story of how he brought out how he, this, this game. Is that, is, is that the annotated version of Sorcerer, is it? No, it's the 2001 oh, version. Because the, there's an annotated version. I don't know if you've seen that one where every paragraph, every everything throughout it is he explains why he did it and Oh, oh, that that'd be a lovely artifact, mm. um, but that that to me smacks of the kind of self indulgence that I might be wanting to avoid. What I like about this is he keeps the essays, yeah, he keeps them to either side. You know, the the, the the description of the rules is the description of the rules, 
I quite like that. But I do actually think the essay which is included in the appendix, um, which is called System Does Matter, um, which puts, as I say, it's a strong thesis, but I like the taxonomy. Um, uh, I do think, again, sums up, you know, when, when I talk about an indie game, this sums up part of the philosophy I'm talking about. I mean, a lot of, as I mentioned last episode, a lot of people now under 30 creating Powered by the Apocalypse games just consider indie gaming to mean producing a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Well, <laughs> I mean, it just has sort of cornered the market on that. I, um, I know when it first came out, uh, uh, some people made a thing about the the uh, the system, the, the dice system he uses, that it wasn't really... A dice system, but that was the whole point of it, wasn't it? It was mm-hmm. it was a dice system, but it was a very very simple dice system. Yeah, yeah. So in the in the appendix, it's just one page really on system design that I want to talk about. But but, but I think the three outlooks that Ron Edwards talks about are worth talking about. They're worth talking about what it is we're looking for in a game. Whether you accept the strong thesis that you can only do one at a time is up to you. I'm not sure I do. But he talks about you've got your gamist outlook, your narrativist outlook and your simulationist outlook. And your gamist is your your player that approaches the game as some kind of competition with win conditions. You know, it's a game that can be won. Yeah, And I like to think about these in terms of um, what things are prized by the player. So the gamist prizes game balance. Yeah, it's got to be fair. If there are win conditions, the game needs to be set up in a fair way way incidentally all of these approaches are about rules yeah they're not about rules heavy rules light he's very clear about that they're not about not having rules it's about having mechanics that support the kind of game that you're going for so that's number one it's the gamest one then he's got the narrativist one which he describes as the player is satisfied if role-playing session uh, if a role-playing session results in a good story um, but again, in terms of my my embellishment on that, where the gamist prizes balance, I think actually what the narrativist is probably prizing is something like genre. Yeah, the narrativist likes it if things happen like they happen in the films or like they happen in this kind of story. And the reason why that I think that's important is I'm going to come back to that when I talk about some of the OSR style games that I like and what I think is going on with them. Because I think this gives an interesting insight into that. Um, You know, John John started in the last session actually giving a sort of genealogy of the way OSR games build. They move from clones into something else. Um, And I actually think this this taxonomy is a good way of describing the something else that you've got with games like Black Hack, uh, Maze Rats, Nave. So you've got Gamist, I would say, um, prizes, balance, narrativist prizes genre um you know genre authenticity something like that and simulationist of course who prizes very similitude so as he describes it the player is satisfied if the system creates a little pocket universe without fudging um, i find these to be a useful taxonomy anyway to talk about the different kind of uh, motivations and predilections players or GMs might have. Um, and I would say forced to choose, and I'm not sure I accept the strong thesis that you are forced to choose, but if I was forced to choose, I would put myself in the narrativist camp there. I like rules. I like gaminess, but I like rules and gaminess to me, which support making moves in an ongoing narrative and which support um, faithfulness to a particular kind of genre 
Uh, and for me, often that that genre is a really low culture genre. I like my B movies. I want games to run like Conan. I want games to run like you know. So it doesn't doesn't have to be high art. The narrativist approach, yeah. It's it can be whatever genre you're trying to em- emulate. Now, the other thing about indie games, I mean. Edward says, look, I've given you this taxonomy so that you can be clearer about the kind of game you want to play. It also says, he says, we can talk about games and we can identify why a game that we don't like might be good. Yeah. If I don't like simulationist games, I can nevertheless point out how these mechanics are really good to support um, the simulationist approach, even if I don't personally like simulationist games. So I quite like that. He offers that as as a way of having these debates about what you don't like and don't like. But there's something else in that, Definitely, Edwards and others were 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 reacting against um, um, the you know the big game which was out there, which I think you know their their characterization of D and D was that D and D is supporting primarily simulationist gaming. You know, Gygax was about very similitude to his to his fantasy world. Um, I think they'd be prepared to acknowledge that later editions move more into a gamist approach you know they're about balancing uh, the build certainly those early editions don't care about balancing they're not they're not really interested in that um, and, and certainly those early indie games I think were pushing narrativism as something which had been neglected by the other games that were out there so whilst Edward says look I've just given you a taxonomy so you can talk about gaming definitely his definitely what sorcerer is is a narrativist game uh, geared towards telling a particular kind of story about potentially losing your soul by harnessing demonic powers out of desperation to achieve things that's it that's the principle that's what character is about that's the kind of story that you are that 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 you're doing now i'm just going to offer one other little bit and then i think we can talk about this but the interesting thing so so john in the last episode started that little story about osr you know lots of the games are clones they're trying to reproduce the rule sets of those early games and you say and then there are embellishments and lots of the games become what edwards calls the heartbreaker of course they're, they're taking those old rule sets but they're trying to fix them because uh, they don't simulate this bit right or they don't simulate this bit right and a perfect game, or they're not balanced yeah so a perfect game which is appropriately balanced would be like those but they would be fixed so that's your next generation then i think what's interesting i've been inclined to use the term and other people use it as well but i've been inclined to use the term indie osr to describe particular kinds of games like the black hack Maze Rats, um, Naive, even Electric Bastion Land, I would say. Um, and what's interesting about those is I think what they are doing is I think they are in in many ways narrativist games in that they prize a genre. Yeah, What they're doing is they're taking a memory or an imagined experience of the old school experience and they are designing rule sets um, which drive that genre of play. I think that's going on with the, what's going on with the Black Hack. That's why I think of the Black Hack as, a, as an old school game, but it's one with indie sensibilities. You know, what it's doing is it's saying, you know, in the same way that you might, you know, you might design a game to emulate a particular genre of movie, that would be broadly within the narrativist camp. I think what they're doing is they're saying, here's a kind of, here's a kind of story that these old school games used to tell. And then they're designing rule sets which drive telling that kind of story and having that kind of experience. Yeah. So I think that's how they build interestingly on those other, those other games. They're treating those other games as genres um, and designing rule sets. 
to drive that kind of gaming. So that, that's what I wanted to open up. I wanted to open up that discussion. Firstly, so I think I've done some controversial things, um, but I've suggested that you can give some content to the idea of an indie game. There was a, there was a coherent philosophy there, even though Edwards sets out these three different types. Definitely there was, there was a reaction against the perception of how, what other games were so that there was narrativism was kind of pressed as a kind of compensating factor. And then I'm introducing that possibility that some of these newer OSR games, we have discussed about whether they're OSR, whether they aren't. Well, I think I've got a useful taxonomy for saying something like the black hack is treating the old school as a genre. So really it's an indie game that seeks to, to, to emulate that kind of genre of play. So I know I've said lots of controversial things. I'm going to hand it over to you and see what you think about that. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I I would agree that a lot of games do attempt to emulate a particular genre. And obviously when we were talking about the, the Power by the Apocalypse games previously, a lot of those attempt to emulate a genre. For instance, Dave, you were saying Scum and Villainy, it was your favourite Star Wars-style game. And I, I've said virtually the same thing to the people I've played it with, because I've, I've got a copy of pretty much every like official Star Wars game that's come out, but I do prefer Scum and Villainy because I think it emulates that sort of genre and the rules support that, the feeling of that genre and the, sort of, the ethos of that genre better than some of the, the actual Star Wars games. So I think for me, definitely it's a... It's very important, and I think you can definitely see that with various different OSR style games. I mean, even if you look at things like uh, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, it's trying to recreate that sort of swords and sorcery, sort of Conan esque style genre using those OSR rules to do so and sort of adding on top and embellishing them. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of sort of genre emulation, partly because it gives me. It allows you to make sort of like an informed choice as to what sort of game you're going to be playing. So as we were saying previously with the PBTA stuff, if you if you show someone a game and you say, right, this game is emulating this particular genre, straight away, if the person's not interested in that genre, you can find out there rather than just say, oh, we're playing a generic game. And then later on, they're like, oh, not really interested in the way this game's gone. Or, And obviously you can get around that by having a discussion, but... If it's sort of baked into the system, you sort of bypass all that because it's there from the get-go. It's clearly defined. So, yeah, 100%. And I think with with some of the games as well, they're, they're harking back to people's nostalgia. Because, um, I mean, for me, I started with BX, so the BX5, is, is I, I thoroughly enjoy that. So for a new system to entice somebody like me, putting a new mechanic or new system, but playing that genre, it's it's appealing for me because it's it's an area I know. But with a tweak, and I think a lot of these new systems are doing that is is taking something that you know, but then giving you new mechanics and, and new systems to uh, to play it. Which is, uh, I think one of the advantages of um, sort of like placing like emphasis on a particular genre or something like that, which effectively narrows the focus of your game, is that you can. You can. Fo- I know this is going to sound like a redundant statement, but you can focus entirely on that. So if you look at something like Dungeon World, which is trying to portray a very specific version of like the D&D type experience, you can fit all of that into a small book that you've just got the one book. There you go. That will give you everything you need to run that specific experience. Whereas because actual D&D wants to encompass a broader spectrum of games... 
you need a lot more you need a lot more sort of uh, book size in order to like cover all those particular eventualities. So yeah, so so Edwards's strong thesis is that a game can't be all things to all people. Yeah, no. well, this is what I this is I think we were getting a little bit into the weeds with genre there. Um, before I say any more, in the previous episode, I did say that I I, I question all this categorization of things, and clearly this is what we're doing but I do want to say um, when I brought that up Dave you did say it's useful for analysis and this is a classic example of why you would need your categories because to have this discussion you've got to have a pretty clear handle on a few of these different categories now the, the, the reason I'm a little bit averse to it all is because I think it gets weaponized and then it's divisive. But but putting that to one side, I think what he's saying is very interesting, Mr. Edwards, but I'm not sure I grasp the the, the free the free the narrativist, the simulationist, and the uh, uh, the gamist. Gamist. Yeah. Now well, I I I can't fathom how you can't have them. Because to me, they seem like dials that you have on a different setting, like on an amp. You know, like, you know, that's your, your gain, that's your master volume, and that's your volume. And they're on f- different settings. I don't, I don't see how any of them are exclusive, I mean, or, or I, am I missing I, I, I don't think they're necessarily mutually exclusive. I mean, well, that's what he says. That's that what is, he pushes what, a very strong thesis, I mean, but I, I think he may be wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm not sure I entirely agree with that. I think it's useful to define these. Because yeah. you, you can see where you sort of fall on the spectrum between those different things. Spectrum. But I, I've I've never met anyone who I'd say, yeah, they're purely like a, a gamist gamer or they're purely a narrativist gamer. But I, I do think it's useful to have an understanding of those categories because you, you'll get people who lean more strongly towards one or to the other. Mm-hmm. They might have a few elements from the other classifications in there, but... It, it, I forget the simulationist one where it was saying they they're happy if the the game models an internally consistent like universe effectively. Mm. I, I would say that yeah, I, I've got simulationist leanings. I like my games to be consistent. I like them to be a, a level of verisimilitude where you know that you understand the basic laws of your your universe so whether that's somewhat ridiculous like gravity so you know if you walk off a cliff you fall down that that's what happens because i think if you don't have that basic understanding you can't really make choices about what's possible for your character in those worlds but i would say that i'm not entirely simulationist because if i'm doing like a fantasy game there will be exceptions to those rules and if they're sort of handled okay with a, a reasonable degree of intelligence I, I'm happy with that so I wouldn't say I was entirely simulationist but I do have leanings in that direction because I do like internal consistency so I would say rather than just being the sort of hard definition of the three categories I would say it's probably more of a spectrum and people fall in different areas between them yeah I th- but I think one of the things it can enable you to do is that you can think of three different things that rules could achieve yeah. So so rules could achieve realistic simulation or they could achieve, um, you know, f- fair adjudication. Um, 
maybe those maybe those two are the same thing um except not necessarily because if, you, if you're going to go realistic you wouldn't necessarily bar- balance all your characters you know no, people wouldn't be sort of perfectly balanced against each other um or they can achieve um you know like the moves do empowered by the apocalypse they could they they can be ways of uh driving the inter- interaction such that it's appropriate to the kind of story you've you've read you're going to tell and i think that's quite a useful again it's quite a useful analytical tool i agree with you that they're not um necessarily mutually exclusive but mm. but you could but you but you can under, you can you can think about those different things that the rules of the game might achieve he, so um, he's he's specifically talking about an end of he's not talking about a game is he he is talking about a rule in a game no i think i think he is i think he's talking about I, I think the way he presents his strong thesis um is that some games have rule sets that drive okay. simulation yeah and that's that's why that's i say weird. i don't, I don't accept weird. the strong version of his thesis but but i wonder if part of the re- part of other bits of the motivation of it is to say you know don't feel the need to build your game on the chassis of another game do you know what i mean maybe at a, a time where lo- lots of games are just rehashes of dungeons and dragons you know let's mm-hmm. let's rename the six attributes or whatever i think part of what he's saying which which we're all quite you know quite f- accepting of but but part of it is to say you know don't don't think you can build this kind of game off the chassis of a of another game and was he just talking about rpgs or was he was he dealing with board games and games in general or he was talking about rpgs but definitely i think part of his language has been developed out of a broader awareness of game theory i think right okay Hmm. um you know, so that I mean, and that that gamist narrativist distinction is one that operates. I mean, that still rages in video games, for example. You know, what are video games trying to do? Are video games games, or are they a form of interactive fiction? Um, is still a big debate. I mean, even the philosophy of games is a big debate about what video games are doing. Is video games, in fact, a category um, which probably shouldn't correctly be called games? It should be called something like some kind of um, technological medium within which. You could do something that's more like a game and something that's more like a narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, or is an individual video game actually some kind of mixed medium that has those two components running through it? Um, so that 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 one still rages around around what exactly a video game is. I thought your interpretation of narrativist was kind of interesting as well, because um, I, as you were saying it, I thought, ah, oh, yeah, no, that's not what I that's not what I took that to mean. Uh, you was talking about emu- genre emulation, really, weren't yeah. you? Yeah, and and that's something el- elsewhere. Edwards unpacks it in that in that way. Does he? Right. I mean, okay. I mean, it, it, it's it's a difference. It's a difference. I mean, I know we always come back to it, but it's a difference on flaming oil. Actually, <laughs> you know, the flaming oil is a good example of of where your your tendencies might lie. You know, if if you want verisimilitudes, you're going to think about what the chemical properties of oil are, and you're going to want that to pay off in a particular way. If you're thinking about the kind of cool stuff that happens in a certain kind of movie, you might want oil to behave in a different way. And I think that can be that can be thought of. It's crude, but that can be thought of in terms of yeah. narrativist or simulation. There, 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 there's a um, there's a conflict there as well, isn't there? Because you could you could make that that oil cinematic and uh you think oh yeah that's narrative narrativist because i'm um, it's it's cool people talk about it it, it it maybe brings on the story or whatever but in some ways you just screwed your campaign world because it's opened up these questions of well oh well how does that work 
I mean, then yeah, simulationist, yeah. But 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 I think it's an interesting story sometimes when you know you know when you get something like that right, it can lead on to other things. It's like, oh well, we want to make that, we want to create that, and oh, and actually, why does that work like that? And it it's sort of like you're peeling away these layers because you've you've took time to sort of think about how your your oil for example works whereas if sometimes if you you just do the rule of cool thing things can be a bit uh a bit I, one a bit one shot ish i, I mm. think what ron edwards is very good at is very good at uh, designing a game with absolute minimum uh or mechanics i mean another one he did was troll babe uh, which is it's only a short game i think about 50 odd pages um but you pay a half troll half human um, again, it's simple mechanics, but quite an in-depth game. What's that one? Is it Lasers and Feelings or whatever? What's it That's called? John yeah. Harper, yeah. Lasers yeah. And that, I mean, that, that is just a rewrite of Troll Babe. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it would, uh, everybody raves about that, but it, it's just Troll Babe. Troll Babe, yeah. Just with a different, yeah. So we've got a, um, we've got a question from Goblin Tanchman in the, the Twitch chat. He says, so is a classification used in an indie game inevitably going to classify everything as an indie game? That said, it's unlikely an OSR game definition would map onto a story game. Don't know what people think about that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's what one of the things. What 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 the, the games I like in the OSR, like the Black Hack, um, like Electric Bastion Lands, I would actually call them according to that classification. Maybe narrative is not the right, but I would call them narrativist within that classification um, because I think what what they are trying to do is tell stories within. Uh, a sort of imagined or nostalgically remembered version of how OS old school games played out. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, so I, you know, but but they're but they're not like BX, for example, which is you know a faithful clone. I mean, it, it's always hard sort of categorising indie games because what do you call an indie game company? You know, yes, yeah. it's a minefield, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that, but that's why I think uh, that's why I think Sorcerer is a good is a good paradigm because on the one hand it's got you know you understand why it was called an indie game because it's got a bloody article in there about how he made an indie game, but mm. on the other hand he also gives you the philosophy which is what we're really pinning down I think mm. when we talk about it. and that 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 I think is worth saying you know because you you will get people who say well it's not an indie game is it? it's made by a company and I think you could but in that book you can by looking at that mm. book you can understand both you can understand the etymology you can understand why the name indie got attached to a particular RPG design philosophy. That's where it happens. I think it's and, useful for people to yeah. know that. And I think at, at one point, indie, having the indie game tag on was like having the OSR game tag on. If you had the OSR tag on, on your game, you, you sold a few. I think it got saved with indie games at one point. I put an indie game on it and, and just sold a few more copies. It's where all the homebrew action was. You know, yeah. all the homebrew action we know now is in the OSR. It's all of us doing it. But it was, <laughs> that's where it was. Yeah. So what are you saying, Dave? You're saying that an indie game is an indie game because it falls into either narrativist, gamist, or simulationist. Is that no? Is not that, I'm, not I'm, that I'm saying you know I'm I'm saying it's it's um, built from scratch with an awareness of the kind of play experience that it's trying okay, to right, make. Yeah. So so that's why fifth ed, fourth ed, third ed, whoever made them, can't be indie games. Yeah, because what because what they're doing is trying to refine they're trying to refine improve an existing body of rules with an existing that that i think is the big that's the big difference so so you could say that 
Apocalypse World is an indie game, and then everything else that followed is not an indie game. Well, that's 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 a that's a fun thing. I mean, so you know, so yes, so- Sorcerer comes with that's another thing. Comes with a whole bunch of hacks. It's already there. I mean, mm. they're they're on the inside thing. It's got it's got its hacks. Um, but maybe maybe that's worth saying. Maybe a hack is different from an indie game. Mm, yeah. yeah, in that an indie game is built from scratch to drive a particular kind of play. Yeah, and that's what was being cele- celebrated. You know, this is innovative. This is the kind of game I want, this is the kind of mechanics. Then then there was the encouragement of the hacking thing. I mean that's not a hard and fast thing, but that's that's maybe that's maybe I mean, worth pointing I mean, out. Being the Black Hack yeah. first edition, I mean how many hacks came out of that? There was tons of them, wasn't there? On the mm. first edition Black Hack. Mm. Well I mean I suppose it's very much like how um, it, it's often sort of argued or put forward that uh, the sort of OSR term represents now less sort of accurate copies of old school games but it's more particular sort of play style that's embodied by those games so i suppose i mean correct me if i'm wrong there but you're sort of saying that uh, an indie game it's less about whether a person has sort of produced the game themselves but more that it's it's evoking a particular philosophy or it's made with a particular philosophy absolutely and i think i think that's yeah that that is a point i would like to make that the the saying this game can't be an indie game because it's not by an independent publisher or saying this game is an indie game because it is from an independent publisher is you know that that's that's one legitimate use of indie but i think you know you can understand a bit about the way the languages worked and you can see that there is there is something um of a of a design spirit which is what i'm trying to capture with the idea of an indie game yeah, and and that's why particular games got associated with that title. So, was D and D an indie game when it was first devised? Um, yeah, good question. Um, I mean, w- why not? I mean, it, I, it seems like it would be by by well, the sort I would, of definition. I would say maybe Chainmail was maybe it was Chainmail that was the indie game because D and D was came from Chainmail. Yeah, but it came from it, but. How so what's are, what's know. the fun thing? So I think one of the mean. fun things there is that, you know, in the early days, I don't know, um, there, there's debate about what kind of play style we're going for. You know, it wasn't even clear at the time what kind of game it's meant to be. You know, is this is this gamist? Is this simulationist? Is this narrativist? You know what I mean? So, so that wasn't. Yeah, there's so there's, there's a you're... certain self consciousness. You know, this is the kind of play experience I want. But but we we know that about the early game. You know, I, what was going on at you're uh, saying they la- they la- table was different from what was going on at other tables. They so what you're saying is the designers lacked a certain awareness of what it was they were trying to create, which what. Or, or maybe. maybe they maybe they knew exactly what they were. I mean, I will always make a distinction between the, the designer's game and their expression of the game, yeah? I mean, I'm sure Dave Arneson knew what he was running when he was running it at his table. I'm sure his players knew what was going on. Um, but the expression of the rules is a whole different thing, isn't it? Mm. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure the expression of the rules, um, uh, you know, necessarily implies... Uh, a particular route through. Well, well I mean, yeah. I'm kind of open about that because I don't know enough about that early game. It's well, mysterious well, right, okay. to me. Well, well, it's well, mysterious, well, you know, kind of I've watched, um, you know, Sigs of Blackmore. That's helpful, um, but a lot of it remains mysterious to me. You know, what kind of experience they were actually having. Well, we know originally the term sort of AD and D sort of originally was produced with the idea of, oh, we want one set of rules that people can just play as is for like tournament play because a lot of people were sort of doing their own thing and the game experience was very different at 
everyone's table. And obviously, we know that didn't really work. So as soon as it came out, everyone grabbed it and started house rolling it and running it differently. You know, um, we, we all sort of know that's how it goes. But I can see what you're saying, Dave, because that, that was sort of, although the people who wrote it had that idea in mind, like this is the book that you need, everyone's going to be running it the same. Obviously, it wasn't represented in that way because the first thing everyone did when they got it was start running it their own way and running it in different ways. So, yeah, I think I think there's a few... Here's some fun ways you can try and start applying the taxonomy. And, it, you know, it's just an interesting, fun thing to try and do. But, you know, with, with, with Gygax, you've got Appendix N, haven't you? So, actually, actually, you've got an awareness of of some kind of genre, except that Appendix N is a really disparate genre. And, actually, if you look at that rule set, as a way of playing that genre, actually, it comes out quite bizarre. You know, if these are the books you are reading, why was this the set of rules you came up with? You know, it's, there's yeah. not a clear. This is one of the things that DCC tries to do. DCC tries to say, look, if if you actually designed a game to 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 to, to, to try and be authentic to the Appendix N material, it wouldn't necessarily look like AD and D. It would look quite different. So that's one thing. So you can say, well, maybe it's narrativist because he even tells you the genre that he's trying to emulate. But the problem is it's a really disparate set of sources. And also you often can't see the connections. You know, you read those books and this is what you got. So that's one thing that's interesting. And then you've got, you know, Gary is he's obsessed with the simulation stuff. Yeah, you read all of his stuff in the early Dragon stuff. There's There's one in... Um, 1976, which I think is called something like Realism versus Game Logic, which looks like it's about gamist versus simulationist, except it's not really. It's about um, it's more about complexity versus playability. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's yeah. clear that he wants simulation, but he doesn't want you to get bogged down in simulation. Yeah. So he, so he actually at one point he says, you know, so obviously the rule, but you know, the the simple rule about falling is much better than a more complex rule about falling because you've got to play the game. Hmm. Um. So he's, he's, you know, he's 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 not really on those issues. So I reckon he's probably really simulationist. Um. You know, he wants more and more rules, but then he doesn't want you to get bogged down in the rules. But he wants them to be realistic. But there is a ga- there is the gamist thing as well because they're playing it in tournaments and they're trying to balance right. it. Right. They're trying to balance it all the time with experience right. points, aren't they? And spell and, levels. And-, and maybe this is why it's a bit of a mess. Mm. You know, that's what I think. That's what Edwards was oh, saying. That's, that's, right. Maybe that's why it's a bit of a mess. You know, I mean, he's not denying that you can try. Now I'm not necessarily endorsing the strong thesis, but I think that would support his thesis. You know, that's why it's yeah. a bit of a mess. You're trying to take a simulationist game and now make it fair for tournament so, play. So, so is he say is he not really saying you can't do it? It's if you want to make a really strong game, you should pick one well, of these things and it, aim for that. Yeah, and in fact, in fact, he says, you know, there's always people who will say my GM can run my GM can run any game anyway, and he says I'm sure they can. There are great GMs out there, um, but they can make their lives a lot easier. By not having to do one. that, you know, by actually being clear about the kind of game that they're trying to do, and that—that's part of what he, you know, he's—he's he's looking at a sort of um, a design movement that's trying to take bits of existing games and fix them. You know, he talks about that heartbreak. You know, D and D's not quite right. If my fancy game will do this, and he's saying the reason why you can't fix it is because you're trying to repurpose it for a different kind of game. I can definitely see from what you said about this. I can definitely see how. I can see that lot, that train of thought that led into what became PBTA. Yeah, that 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 thinking that you're talking about, this kind of this this focus, this like focus on certain things, be it 
genre or what is it you're trying to achieve? I can I can I can see his influence. Well, I mean, I can see the logic of having a design philosophy where you sit down to make a game and having a clear sort of idea of the game you want to present to the per- to the person who's going to be reading it and sort of making that explicitly clear because if you if you don't present your clear idea of the game and say as we've said with the PBTA where they say they say at the very get go this is the sort of game this is designed to run if you don't sort of make that explicitly clear to the people who are reading it how can you expect them to sort of like intuit or to know what sort of game you're aiming for? And you do have that. I've talked about it a bit on my recent episodes, but you do have that kind of tension. I think gamist narrativist is quite an interesting tension in terms of sort of um, win conditions and, and and player skill. You know, you, I, I hear those. I've heard DMs on Anchor. I remember. I remember. There's one episode with Tim Shorts. Tim Shorts saying, "My my players, you know, loads of them died in the last thing. They're all whining. They shouldn't be whining because they made bad decisions. You know, if you're going to do stupid things in the dungeon, you're going to get killed. You know, it should have been much smarter. They should have done better tactics." I chuckle away, and that that is a clear gamist approach to what the players should have done. You know, the win conditions are survive the combats, get the gold. There's smarter ways of doing that. If they knew the rules better. Or if they remember the rules, and they play. You know, that's interesting. That's a game of thing. But you know, narrativist approach can be really different from that. You know, we didn't get as much gold as we could because, um, you know, we got bogged down with pursuing this particular goal that this particular character had, or or we took loads of damage in that fight because the angry dwarf charged in because he wanted to take revenge and he was really angry about the affront to his family you know the smart play from a gamer's point of view would have been to hang back do your planning maximize all your synergies between different character abilities you know now i i find that a really interesting tension in play and i hear that a lot you know that player skill means doing the tactics right not rushing into a fight you know look you know actually some players will say yeah we died we died because we did tactically non-optimal things but it was a great story because that's what would have happened because that's what my character did. And I think that that is an interesting way that I think gamists and narrativists can play out. And they're, they're, they are worthwhile motivations that aren't often, oh, sorry, aren't always acknowledged. Um, and they, they can lead a game experience in a quite different direction. I, I don't know if you've noticed, Dave, but in the chat, um, John's uh-huh. put, put some links. Uh, Ron Edwards has done three uh, articles on narrativism, simulationism, and gamism from 2003 where he expands on it. So we'll, uh, I think we'll put those in the show notes as well for people to have a look mm-hmm. at because he expands on that. Okay, so has anyone else got anything they want to say on this particular subject? Well, only that it... it um... So how how does it relate to the the OSR then, Dave? Was there a specific sort of? So that's why I, w- I was going to explain why I like to call games like the Black Hack, which aren't which which don't actually resemble old school rule sets very much. That's I still associate them with OSR, but I tend to call them indie OSR games. I suppose that- the only thing that sort of the Black Hack holds over is, is the six attributes, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. no, I mean it holds over a load of stuff, doesn't it? But it, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, you, you, but I but I would say what it what it holds over, what it does, and what it does. It's emulating the experience it, of playing. Yeah, again. it does with it does with you know it's it's and that's it's what got Dungeon a, World. It's does. got an idea of old school play, 
um, and the rules are designed to drive that idea. Um, it's certainly not trying to simulate um, a dungeon environment. I don't think it's really particularly worried about uh, about balance. Um, you know, I, th I think. No, it's, I don't I, think it's yeah. worried about balance um, at all. I mean, the, the other thing is, I suppose it. Does, I suppose you know. Of course, you can play it differently. I suppose you can. You can. You can play it with the idea that it has win conditions. Um, you know, it's about getting the most gold, or it's about staying alive. Um, yeah, but uh, but I don't tend to run it that way. Um, I tend to run it in a more, you know, one of the things about narrativist games, I think they're sort of open-ended games. What you're doing, you're, you're trying to find the move that best advances the story. Um, so have, uh, I, I, know, I know John has, but have uh, you and Colin back to the latest Black Hacker Kickstarter no. for the, the monsters? I know I, somebody said to me, said, you've probably got the monsters in Encyclopedia, BX, OD&D. &D. I said, yeah, I've got them in all of those, but... So I've I've backed it uh, only, because fourteen quid. If he's if 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 David Black is feeling nice and creative with that, if nothing else, it will be a whole bunch of examples of um, of abilities that you can give monsters, and I think that's mm. quite I think that's quite nice. And, uh, I I think it's incredibly unblack hack actually to do to just do a conversion of a whole bunch of existing fancy well, monsters. That's um, what I thought. I yeah. thought. I think it's a bizarre endeavour, actually. I, I've got to admit, I've mainly backed in myself for a couple of reasons. The first is to like support the creators, obviously. Um, the the second is, as you were saying, Dave, I, I really like the sort of creative way that the monsters in the Black Hat core book were approached. Yeah, I like so them. I'm hoping there's going to be sort of like a bit more of that in this book because the. Um, as well as be interesting to see how what his take is on things like the beholder and uh, stuff like that, wasn't it? Well, at least yeah, although like, he's got one of those, he's exactly. got something like yeah. a beholder already. Yeah, in the book. What's he it called? Is yeah. yeah, the Oculus or something? Yeah. Isn't it? That's right. But That's I, right. I, I think he done he did such a good job of presenting a, a range of base, uh, uh, a broad but limited range of monsters that I feel what's in in the the original book there, the Black Hack 2 book, is enough that I can probably do everything I want to do yeah. reskinning those. And I, yeah. It's, more, it's, it's actually more Appendix N than, yeah. than the monster book. I mean, it's got, it's got it's lots of overlaps with DCC. You've got your long dead spacemen and all this zombie yes. spacemen, which you've got in DCC. It was, he's done a better job. So I think what he should have done, doesn't care about what I think, but he should have done a monster maker book. Yeah, and if but he he's wanted, got the, he's got that monster in he's the got black hack, monster, but it, but he, he could have if he wanted to to let you do an ankeg, you know, everything from A to Z of all the monsters. He should have just made sure in his monster maker book you've got all the relevant abilities, so that yeah. if you went through all his tables, you you could make those monsters. But I don't think he should have, you know. And I think someone said, well, it's with an eye to conversion. Well, the modules have all got unique monsters in anyway. That's why you get the modules. You don't just go to the manual. The modules have got a whole bunch of different spins. So, oh, yeah. I, I find it a bizarre, um, maybe cynical, maybe poorly advised. I don't quite know why he's done it this way. But, I'll, yeah, again, to support... I'd say it's a commercial venture. I'd say it's a commercial venture. If I'm honest, it's to make some dough, man. But who? But who has bought the nothing black wrong hack? with that? Who's bought the black hack and embraced the black hack and then said, "Oh, I wish he'd done a monster book." 
No, because well, if you, you don't, don't do all you, you need is one line and one ability. You've done your monster. Yeah. And why would you need that, a That's book? kind of what I thought. Oh, the complete. <laughs> Sorry, the completion. No, I was just put, I was putting my hand up when you said, "Oh, who's brought the black hack and done this?" I was like, "Well, the, com- yeah, the completionist in me would certainly go out and get it, and when it comes out, I probably would look at it, and if I fancied it, I'd pick it up. But I, I have to resist the urge to just think, "Oh yeah, I love, I love well, the black hack." Well, yeah, I mean, d- don't get me wrong; it's it, just me. It, it, it's sort of if it had come in a time when there were like other other Kickstarters that I'd wanted more, it probably wouldn't have been my first choice. However, because I don't have a lot of Kickstarters like on the go at the minute, yeah. My, my, my main purpose for, for supporting it is obviously to support the creators in the hope that they'll have the resources to to produce future stuff. I'd, uh, I do like the, the, the example of the grizzly bear with the special ability, Huggy Bear. <laughs> We've got another message off um, Goblin's Henchman in the Twitch. He says, um, so designing a game with one mode in mind is fine, but what if players have different modes of play in mind? Do games need to maybe be more chimerical in their approach? Yeah, I mean, why not? Why not? And I mean, it's always it's always fun when you can when you can, you know, bring something about in a game that it wasn't designed for. I mean, I love that in video games where you, 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 you discover, I mean, that's the thing with MMORPGs, isn't it? Where you, you, you finally find a way of having social events that clearly weren't part of the intention of the designer, but you give you the space to do that. And that's, you know, that's, that's what role players like to do in MMORPGs. And I think it's nice when you feel that you can push a game in a different direction. Well, so well, why not? That, that's it. You mentioned computer games. My, my wife plays a lot of Minecraft. And one of the one of the things in that is a lot of people have sort of worked out how the game rules work in that, and they've used it to be able to like build sort of giant machines which can spawn monsters and can automatically sort treasure. Pe- people have built sort of like small computers within the game. Yes, I've seen that. Uh, and amazing. it's and and it's great. So and it's all because people have sort of like. I mean, that may or may not have been intended in the original game, I don't know, but that's all because people have looked at the rules that govern how that game world works and have then sort of thought, well, if that works like that and that works like this, maybe I can combine them to create something different. So like you say, it's all about sort of that sort of whole enjoyment of looking at the rules and how things work and then maybe applying them to different situations or like making something new with them. Yeah, that's that's interesting, you know, John, because I never in a million years would have called Minecraft a game. I've never even mm. thought of it. I've never even thought of it as a game. Do you know that? I say that in all honesty. I, it's just my, to me, it's always just been Minecraft. Other oh, kids are playing Minecraft. We do, I, it does depend. Funny, what isn't mo- it? Depends what mode you're playing in it. In, yeah. it? If you're playing it in creative mode, all you're doing is building. If you're playing it in survival mode, you've actually got a goal. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I played it a bit when it first came out, when it was like fairly basic, and it was like, oh, you know, survive long enough to build a house and da da da. Oh yeah, because there's griblies that come after you yeah. to try and get yeah. you in the night and that. And, yeah. and I also played it when it was at like a basic level, but I, I've not played it myself for like years. But uh, sort of like kept the like subscription going because my wife plays it a lot, and. Um, Every time I look at the game now, because obviously they're always expanding it, yeah. like none of this yeah. building machines or anything like that was possible when I was playing it, so like back in the day. But um, when you look at it now, I mean, you can see like all the 
and there's video, countless videos on YouTube, when you look at how every time a new expansion comes out, the first thing that happens is people will look at how that expansion works with the existing rules and go, right, because this now works like this, I can use it to create something else. And like I said, people have done like fantastic well, I, I, things I, I, with it. I, I saw one blog post, and there's a fella, and he uses Minecraft as his VTT for his players, and he sets his whole world in Minecraft, and they, they, they log into that and use that yeah. as the virtual table. That's, That's pretty brilliant, cool. Brilliant yeah, idea. I've, I've thought about doing that. I never got yeah. around to it. I did spend, I once spent about two weeks um, setting out music blocks in Minecraft so that they play Come As You Are. I've got the mm. bass line, and I've got nice. one little melody yeah it took me weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks i talked i talked about that in a recent episode about minecraft as um as a yeah. basically it's a vt vtt when i was talking about lego so i've always made a connect maybe that's why i've not thought of it as a game because i've always had minecraft as kind of like video lego in my mind and, and, and usually like it's really it's an rpg yeah, yeah, yeah. Caltrops, isn't it? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, that's very much how, um, how my wife plays it going. You can play on like the two modes there's the survival mode, where, like, say you have yeah, a goal to survive, and then there's the creative mode. Uh, and my wife tends to run it on the creative mode because then it is just like a big, like you said, like a big box of virtual yeah. Lego where you can go and build stuff. And people have built fantastic stuff. There's like there's like replicas of like cities out of Lord of the Rings to scale and like the Starship Enterprise and stuff like that that people have yeah. built using this creative mode. So to, to bring it back to like what Goblin's Henchman was saying about things being like chimerical and having like multi-purpose, that's a great example of that. Because if you just want to play it as a game of like, yeah. right, I've got to marshal my resources and I've got to survive, you can do that. However, the game also allows you to go, if you just want to use it as a toolkit to like build some cool shit... Yeah. So how, but, how but does I it... actually think when you're when you're playing in creative mode, you're only calling it a game in the very loosest sense. Oh yeah. yeah. In creative mode, it's not a game; it's a play area. It's a yes. play area with resources where you can play, but you're not playing the game. But but my my kids, we've sunk hundreds of hours into Minecraft and never played survival mode. We've never played the game. We're playing in a play area, but it's not a game. But it's a it's a sort of a different it's a different thing then, isn't it? By by the sort of um, definition that Ron Edwards, it, he would separate them two things, wouldn't he? They'd well, be it, different. Yeah, I mean, the way we play, it's not narrative or simulation or gamist. You know, it's, it's got no rules. Yeah, it's, got it's, no it's fairness, just, it's just you know, like just a construction tool. Well, it's got yeah. it has got physical <laughs> rules, isn't it? In create in creation mode, it's got physical. There's physical rules about the materials and stuff like that. So, is there a sort of a vaguely simulationist? In an abstracted, we're just John and I just reading Goblin's henchman. Yeah, he maybe. says his brother-in-law maybe, maybe built a, a nuclear power station. Yeah. Built a power nuclear power station in Minecraft. Mm. Oh God! <laughs> we honestly, we we've got a, a map that we've called New York, but we've been working on it since when was Rudy? Maybe when Rudy was about four. We've been working on it for about seven years. Every block in there we've laid. It is. Huge. So can other people massive. come to? So can other yeah. people come to your? If, to your... if we share it, yeah, we don't yeah. share it because oh, it's just yeah. our family thing. But it's, right. it is what we've done is massive. Right. It's huge. Yeah. It's I I I heard they'd recreated the UK with a geologically accurate um, strata of, you know, the, the the UK's geology. Whoever it is who do that stuff have recreated the UK. Well, you could. 
Yeah, so, yeah, perhaps they have. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, all the correct yeah. geology. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned, Pete, like having people like walk around your play areas. I mean, during the, the lockdown, one of the one of the things that my wife's been able to do is uh, our, our nephew and niece, because obviously we can't visit them physically at the minute, she, she's been able to set up like a little server that she can go on with them and they can all like mess around they can all be like building stuff they can be chatting in the online chat while they're doing that so although it's it's not really strictly a game because like you say it's more of a toolkit like a play set because they're doing it in creative but like, you could t- totally do your D&D can't you of course you can you, you, Hannah builds her world in Minecraft invites yeah, her group in and you, yeah. you play you could it would be cool Yeah. and you if, you, if you if you play in the the survival mode so you you engaging with the game Minecraft? You is that an it, you, do we think that's an RPG? Would you call that an RPG in survival mode? Is that an RPG? Well, then, I mean, and then is it an indie RPG? What? No, definitely not. Oh, it's a simulation. I think. I don't even think it's really an RPG. But I'm. I'm not there are other modes, by the way. There's adventure mode. So actually, yeah. you can do you can do even better than that. So you can build something in creative mode, and then you can bung other people in it in adventure mode, which means they can't interact with it as creative mode. It's, it's uh, they can't they just so if you put a brick wall there, they have to open the door. Yeah. They can't just knock the brick wall down. That kind of stuff. That, that's quite cool. So my kids will do that. They make games for me where I have to explore. It, it reminds me of the RPGs. Core and um, stuff. It reminds me of the RPGs back in the old Spectrum in the day, and that's what it I mean, it has got. It's got. I mean, it depends what. It depends what you think the features of a computer RPG are. I mean, it's got. Mm. It's got some of the features. So you, your character doesn't uh, transform or level up in any way. However, um, through the manipulation of resources, you have got something like an XP system because only over time have you found sufficient resources to build the next thing, which enables you to craft the next thing. So in you that sense, do, it's got that progression that an RPG has got. Yeah, You can yeah. do the ICRPG loot thing, can't you? You can yeah, that, you yeah. award people loot. That, that's that's, oh, what, yeah, I, you that's what I was going to say, because yeah. obviously in ICRPG, you don't tend to advance as much in terms of, I've gone up a level, I get X powers. You tend to advance by collecting equipment that gives you certain bonuses. Uh, and you, you can get a few extra abilities, but that would seem to tie more into like the whole Minecraft idea, like you were saying, Dave. It's only once you've reached a certain level, you, you can build like an enchanted suit of armor, or you can build like a, a, a diamond pickaxe, or whatever it is. Also, there are any number of rudimentary RPGs that have been built inside minecraft you know and they're available to you to go and play yes yeah, so you can you can jump into someone's world and they've built a little village there are quest givers they ask you to go there get that item on the way you have to kill these things you know but they've all that's not that's not the main minecraft game that's that's something that's been built mm. within minecraft that then they've made available to you as a game yes yeah, so you can you can use it to build an rpg in that right. sort of classic sense so yeah. so you could have an indie rpg built with minecraft <laughs> maybe yeah maybe. maybe or is it more like a hack is it more like a hack i don't know is it what, because it's a hack of minecraft, of minecraft? Yeah, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe, maybe what what minecraft gives you is a, f- a physical space that you can make games in maybe that's more analogous to the vocabulary of powered by the apocalypse and, which enables and, you and, to build games within that vocabulary and they do a minecraft yeah, yeah, dungeons yeah, yeah. version now as well apparently Oh yeah, we're playing that at the moment. Yeah, but yeah. that that is just a classic sort of 
top-down action dungeon game. It just happens to be built out of, you know, it just looks like Minecraft. Yeah, it's not even like survival. It's a great fun game. It's basically Diablo. If you you played the most recent version of Diablo, it's just a really stripped-down version of that that's cuter and not as horrific. We're having a great time playing it. What yeah. about Terraria? Have you played Terraria, which the is like were, the sideways view? The kids were playing that today. Yeah, they were playing that today. Yeah, yeah. that has also been been upgraded and upgraded. I didn't recognise half the things they could do today, half the decorations, furnishings. When I was playing that, they didn't have any of that. Yeah. Ha, ha, I mean, I've never played Minecraft. How much does it cost you to buy into it? Is it expensive or is it quite reasonable? Oh, I think if you've got Xbox, it's on the Game Pass. I don't think you even have to buy it at the moment. I can't remember, but... Um, it, it's for, not too for expensive. me i play it on the xbox so you just buy the game um it's non-platform specific now so anybody is playing on any platform unless they're playing in an older version lots of people have got their own servers older versions they're running on the pc but if you're playing any of the new generic versions then it's cross-platform um so anybody playing on any platform my kids can be playing on the on the kindle they can still step into my world on the xbox um over the internet it's great hmm. um, or we can do four-player split-screen on the Xbox, so we all just yeah. sit on the floor and do it. Or you, you can, can open make, up your you world so your any old body can drop in it. You can make monsters and stuff, presumably. Yeah, you see, you you can build a nice little game in it. So you can, yeah, you can you can build a thing. You build it in creative mode, and then you switch it to adventure mode. And while you're in creative mode, you can fly up and down to place blocks, and you huh. can easily break blocks and place them. And then when you move it into adventure mode, now everything works properly in the physics so characters that come in there can't just knock walls down or whatever so they have to find they have to find the buttons to open the gates and so you can set up and then you can put spawners in you can lay traps so you can do little we've done little simple survival things um with a bit of parkour stuff that you have to do for each other um yeah perhaps that's perhaps that's how you teach kids role-playing games you teach them through minecraft well, I mean, that, that would engage a lot of kids who are spending all their time playing Minecraft. Yeah, that would be one way. Mm. Well, I thought about if I was going to introduce them, maybe I would design a, a bit of a sort of maybe a, something simple like a PBTA mechanic with the, the 2D6 and do the... Um, what's the one where they go around at the minute? Like Hunger Games. It's like Fortnite. Fortnite They're mad yeah. about Fortnite. I, I, I think it's a nasty concept. You know, going around killing I'm, each other, but I'm just, I'm just looking at the pricing now because they're on the on the Microsoft store and it says price is sixteen pounds seventy four plus. So it obviously goes up. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you yeah, say, I John? Mean, you, you you pay like a subscription, do you? Yeah, I can't remember exactly how much it is because I, I sat it up ages ago, but it's not too much. But you only need that to like run a server or have a realm or something, don't you? Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. you just have the game. Have the game. So yeah. I pay. Yeah, I pay some money so that we've got a realm, so that um, you know the kids can be all on their different yeah. on their different devices, but they can always get into the same persistent world and modify that. Um, but you don't need that. Yeah. Only thing I wouldn't be clear on if you wanted to use that as a as an RPG is um, how you would set up your. Uh, your creatures. So I don't recall any ability to actually alter like the no, monsters that are in no, it. No, you can't. You can't. You, you're stuck with the, the monsters that you've got. And there's a finite number and you can spawn them, but that's that. Yeah. Um, unless, I mean, unless you're, unless you're modding, in which case you can do all sorts yeah. of things, but we're not doing that. We're just playing the game. We're just building it for each other. I suppose you could use your, your, your paper rules anyway and just use that as your, 
We've been literally, yeah. I think that's what Colin was saying in the first place, mm. wasn't it? You could yeah, literally yeah. just use yeah. it as your map. Yeah, 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 and you could do so that. So instead of building it in Roll20, you yeah. build it in Minecraft. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I suppose you, you can easily put down um, like tokens to represent the creatures. So you put down some like green blocks and you're like, oh, that, that's... <laughs> yeah, that's just, doing, just blocks. What are you doing, yeah. Colin? He's, he's been attacked by a bat or something, have you? Cat. I thought he was getting his late night RPG yoga on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it'd be fun. It'd be fun to play with that. I'd I'd probably sort of just sow the idea in in the kids' mind and see what they did with it. Oh yeah, you could do you could do some nice things. I was just thinking about actually the the movement. If you wanted to do grid based movement, it's not sort of super intuitive. But one of the things you could do, you could do. You know, you could alternate your floor tiles yeah. so that you could see the grids. You know, otherwise yeah, you wouldn't yeah. see the grid, but you could just alternate colours like a chessboard. Yeah, and you yeah, see yeah. the grid quite easily, so you could position yourself. So, so, so yeah, they just are... use light green and dark green. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then yeah. Brown, they they brown are, John, get rid of your old 20 subscription onto Minecraft. That's it. I've already got both. I've got both, mate. I've got both. <laughs> I, mean, I thought about doing it with my face-to-face group. as before I was doing it a like, long time ago. And the problem I encountered, I thought, well, I haven't got a way... You know, beyond four players, we can do four-player split screen, but I haven't got a way that they can all place themselves. I have more players. But now we've probably got enough devices around the house, like mm. Kindles and stuff like that, that they could all get into their thing and they could move themselves around, which all would right. be quite cool. Well, one thing you definitely could do with it, uh, a lot of these people who do um, do a lot of the sort of, I suppose, like actual play videos of Minecraft on YouTube, there's like a, like a bot you can get for it, which does like a sort of floating camera which enables them to do like sort of panoramic right. sweeps. So even if you just wanted to do it to like get some like cool screenshots of particular types of terrain, you mm. could build it in there, take a screenshot, or you could if you can get one of these bots, you could have it do like a sort of panoramic sweep over Fly like a waterfall you built yeah. or whatever. And then when you want to when you're running your game in whatever and you say to the players like, oh you can see this like waterfall, you can like show them that Basically, file yeah. Yeah. and they can yeah. see the actual um terrain and it, you can craft it as you want it to be you could probably do quite a good like little skirmish game or a bit of a small scale war game or something where you you know you you could set up the battlefield in minecraft and then move like move tactical grid type movement yeah. you know you could take the necromander rules say or any sort of games workshop or osprey skirmish and use Use Minecraft, yeah, like because you, yeah, you've like you've uh, is it virtual tabletop is the actual software for that, or what's that? Uh, oh, what's that software that you that all the board gamers use? Not board game, oh, the, the 3D tabletop simulator, yeah, tabletop, tabletop simulator. simulator, yeah, you could kind of do a war game ish thing with Minecraft. That uh, I've been using that tabletop simulator in a game uh, as a player, and I yeah. tell you what, it's it's just like being uh, around a table with. I a know it's, it. oh, it's, oh, it's mad, isn't it? We're like oh. picking up the card and rolling the dice and stuff. Yeah, it, it really is uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> have they got Have they got Hero Quest? Because I really want to play Hero Quest, and I'll do uh, it online if I have to. What the old um, MB one? Yeah. Yeah. I will tell you yeah. now because I've, 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 I've bought a subscription, so I'll have a look at it. I, I remember someone shared on Facebook a little while ago, they shared that um, 
you know that the best the the top played games or the most 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 mm. um increased players were like old school essentials and hero quest and for a while i was like oh my god someone's made hero quest inside roll 20 um I don't think anybody has. I think it was probably referring. Yeah, to there's a is like here a quest master edition with all the expansions. Yeah, I need to get hold of that. I need and it, to play uh, that. I'll I'll post it. I'll post a uh, in roll twenty. No, in uh, in tabletop oh, simulator. tabletop simulator. Yeah. I'll I'll post a picture in the uh, Discord for you to have a look. At. Is Space Hulk there? Yes, Space Hulk is. <laughs> That's a quality because game. I'll, 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 that I'll, is I'll, good fun. A, a lot of them have been done by uh, fans as well, so. Uh, I've got to admit, I did love the outrage and your voice then kind of like, in row 20? You fucking what? (laughs) (laughs) You're having a laugh. Oh, dear. There's also, um, somebody's done an 8-bit virtual tabletop called I Met a Troll, and it's all with 8-bit graphics. Nice. That looks hilarious. Oh, brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Right. Well, I think we've about covered that subject, rambling off into Minecraft Whatever and virtual tabletops. <laughs> we windowed out. Indeed. So that's it for this episode. If you want to get in touch with us and leave us a message, you can contact us via the Anchor app and leave us a voicemail, or you can get in touch with us via email. The address is purplewormpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, and watch out for those purple worms. Mm-hmm.